everyone. Welcome to episode 158 of Eventually Super Train. I'm your host, Dan. How are you? This is a short-lived TV show podcast dedicated to short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. At the moment, we're going through two shows one episode at a time. Normally, we do three, but as 2023 is winding down and the third show we were talking about, Galactic 1980, ended, I decided not to start another show until next year. So, I actually, we already have the show lined up February uh, 2024. We got a brand new old show with a new guest coming on and joining me uh, for that. Uh, but for the rest of the year here, we're doing Max Headroom. And Monster Squad, about 76 and 87, I think. Spin that, 87 and 76. And so we are starting this episode off with a little bit of Max Headroom. Mr. Tim S. Turner is going to be joining us. So we are discussing, I think, the episode Body Banks. And then after that, I will be discussing me, myself, and I, the sixth episode, No Face, of Monster Squad. It's going to be a good time. I would appreciate it if you would continue listening. Here's Max. Max Headroom Season 1, Episode 3. This is Body Banks. Originally aired April 14th, 1987. This is directed by Francis Delia. Written by Steve Roberts. And in this one, a woman is kidnapped uh, by an illegal um, uh, organ donor transplant bunch. Uh, Here it says an involuntary organ donor. Well, yeah, I would imagine if they're kidnapping you, it's probably involuntary. The uh, boyfriend of the woman uh, hunts down Edison, Edison Carter, uh, to get him to help. And he begins to investigate and find out what's going on. They learn about these two creepy sort of punk type guys who kidnapped them and this um, sort of underground organization. And basically they're trying to hunt down and stop the woman from having her organs removed. Well, at the same time, uh, Max uh, wants to know uh, from Bryce... Um, he's Max is having some trouble with bits of his memory, which is also Edison's memory, and they're trying to uh, fix up his memory. And Max is also being asked to be a spokesman for Zigzag, the Zigzag Corporation, um, which I believe is to, according to what I've read here, it's replacing the Blipverts, which they got rid of uh, a couple episodes before. So Max is being asked to do the Zigzag stuff, but he's also trying to find some past memories of Edison's that are kind of hidden away or tough to find well meanwhile edison and this guy and and everybody else are trying to investigate and save this uh, young woman before her organs are harvested for some reason or other listen to this and tim s turner and i will be on the other side <laughs> Body Banks, Episode 3 of Season 1 of Max Headroom, and I am here, as always, with the great Tim S. Turner. Mr. Turner, how are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing all right. We're going 20 minutes into the future once again, and that's and I, I, I wonder when a show begins 20 minutes into the future, and it's and maybe I've said this before, and I've said this before, you got to listen, because I'm not editing this out. Um 20, 20 minutes into the future is it 20 it's 20 minutes presumably it's like when you were watching the show in what 87 or whatever it's 20 minutes into that future so that's why like some some stuff is high tech 
and other stuff is just the tech of our time because it's only 20 minutes into the future. But then I, I wonder also with a show like this, is it meant to be something like, um, you know, like they say with the, uh, or maybe I'm making this up with, with the Marvel universe where like, when does the Marvel universe begins? Like, t is it 10 or 20 years from when you started reading it? kind of thing so oh yeah so so i i forget if it's i want to say it's 20 years because because technically it began in what 1961 but then the character should have aged and such so if you begin at 10 20 years from whenever you started there there you go and it, it generally seems to work so I, I wonder with a show like this is it 20 minutes into the future from right now because if it is maybe they got a few things right and maybe that big camera that edison lugs around all the time isn't uh is it's is is, <laughs> is is amusing it's more like a weapon, actually, right? Like he, when he carries it around, it feels more like he's he's like a it's like his sword, like a ninja something or other. Oh yeah, like, he or, clocks a lot of people yeah. with that camera. It's I mean it's a hell, and you can see like there, there's a point or two where he's like pointing the camera. Where you can see it's it really is like around the the lens case. It's, it's like all beat up and stuff oh, yeah. where he's like he's like hit a lot of people with it. I guess they made it for that, right? So if you if you're gonna be <laughs> hauling a camera on your shoulder, you know, uh, you're gonna and you, you're gonna be hitting people with it so well i like the fact that it's supposed to be the future but any graphics that are on the screen are like yeah eight bit uh... yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes into the future yeah we went a couple years into the past at everything the same looks time. like atari yeah. combat yeah um <laughs> and it does you you do you sort of want it's, it's that um that post-apocalyptic thing you see in all the like well many of the 80s movies where it's like for every futuristic thing there's something that goes back like two steps kind of thing. So you, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I guess, you know, we could talk about the setup of this world, um, either here or, or at another time or, but now let's talk about body banks. What did you think of episode three of body bank? I know we weren't so thrilled on the previous one flacking or whatever the hell it was called, but uh, <laughs> Reiki, that was racker. Yeah. You know, the one, you yeah. know, the one, what did you think of body banks? Tiff? Uh, I, I thought Body Banks was a real step up from Rakers. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Uh, it, it's a lot more entertaining and better paced, I, I, I thought. Um, and it, uh, one of the great things is is they finally bring in Blank Reg and Dominique, uh, who are become regulars for the rest of the series. Mm. Um, uh, actually, Blank Reg was actually in the original British okay. uh, uh, movie that they did. Same actor. Uh, uh, Morgan Shepard, and um, I—he's my favorite character in the series <laughs> because he's just such—he's such a fun, yeah. you know, an anarchic guy, mm -hmm. and he runs big time TV out of this, uh, you know, uh, jerry-rigged van, and uh, and of course, what is it? It's almost all exclusively martial arts movies from the '60s <laughs> yes, and, uh, and divine <laughs> videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, music videos from MTV <laughs> or whatever. And uh, uh, yeah, I I really I, I enjoyed this one a lot. It, it really kind of they're starting to establish more. Uh, of, of an existing universe of, of mm -hmm. characters because yes. they bring back Rick, uh, his uh, uh, Edison's informant, mm -hmm. uh, who for some reason rides him around in a rickshaw. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but also, you know, it brings back um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brugel and Mahler. The oh, two, yeah, those two uh, guys. Yeah. Body snatcher guys. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was having a sip of water. 
right there. I thought Tim had a, I thought Tim had a little more to say, but that's okay. No one gets dinged for that. I liked it too. I yeah. After the sort of meandering aimlessness of the last one, this um this feels a little more focused. I still don't I still don't quite a hundred percent get the world we're in, but um I think it'll be one of those things where um. Uh, I I understand it more over time, so so I'm getting bits and bobs, bits and pieces here and there, and I always like I always like a good like um, you know when the uh, when the rich horgan that's <laughs> I just made up a word that's harvesting the organs that's when you horgan when they harvest the organs of um of the poor oh, I was yeah. I always love when that happens I figure that happens fairly regularly. Um, yeah. Well, it kind of reminded me like of uh, either the movie Coma, oh, or sure, yeah. or uh, what was the you know parts the Clonus horror. Parts of Clo- yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of around this time they did the movie Born, the Russ Hagen film, Body mm-hmm. Organ Replacement Network, yeah. um, which sells itself as a horror film, but is actually more of an action thriller. And then, and then around this time too, one of the um, uh, Joseph Lai ninja mashup films. Oh yeah, Clash of the Ninjas. Begins with organ transplant, some pretty gory organ transplant scenes, which really don't have much to do with the rest of the movie. And if you know your Joseph Lyde, Godfrey Ho ninja movies, you know that's yes. par for the course. Um, <laughs> it's a fun one, though, Clash of the Ninjas. I think you, you probably find it, watch it on YouTube or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. It has a, it has a, um, uh, it has, there's, there's some good investigation uh, trying to fi- figure out what's going on and find find the woman whose name I didn't write down, but I meant to. Um, but the, the woman who was kidnapped. Uh, yes. There's there's some good investigation to find her, and there's some. Um, yeah, we get to see some some of the old characters. We get to see the the new folk. Yeah, I love the big time TV people. They're a lot of fun. They're just. Um, I, I I like the fact that you have sort of people in the networks who seem to be trying to do good but like almost everyone they show who's not them is either a corporate person who's really evil or just someone who seems to be living on the streets watching a random tv so you're like i guess guess they're helping out by showing that like their toxic waste barrels underneath the buildings and and sites and uh, building sites and stuff like that (laughs) but do the people who are like you know who like live out of a barrel that's on fire? Do they really? Need, do they really care? I mean, well, I mean, unless unless that's something like if you live in that area, maybe they have a truck that goes through and gives people enough food to live on or something. I don't know. I'm just, but I, I'm just. There, there's sort of there's sort of a weird feeling of who is the audience that this is for. Yeah. Um, unless they're really just kind of doing it for themselves. I don't know. But, yeah, Edison Carter's a one man sixty minutes. Yes, exactly. And and, and like in, in the end when like you, you wonder who, who is watching this sixty minutes exactly, because we don't really see like I said, the people we like the the the, the frackers or the flappers or whoever from the previous episode, <laughs> like you see them in their apartment and like the TV's on all the time because it has to be, but they don't they're not happy about it and they don't seem to be watching it and they don't seem to be thinking about it. And, and in fact, the guy is actually going outside of what the TV does to do this stupid sport. And oh, I say sport, but um, but the, but there's 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 sort of that interesting feeling that in the end is our Edison and the gang are they are they really just doing all this one for themselves and two for the heads of the assorted networks? 
to try to make everyone money because everyone, I mean, like, like when you see like the doctors and nurses in this episode who are taking the organs, they don't seem to be so interested in watching TV. Now, I know they're working, but like the other places, there always seem to be TVs everywhere, but I don't see TVs here. So, so yeah. I, 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 I do, I, I'm sure at some point in, I mean, it could be something where maybe, you know, this is 20 minutes into the future, maybe now what Edison was doing was actually accomplishing stuff. And 20 minutes into the future, the only thing it's accomplishing is maybe keeping him alive. Maybe keeping, like, maybe if they show they have, they can do this and they have worth to the people who are controlling everything, they, um, they can keep their, and they can keep from being in, living in the middle of an alley, living out of a barrel that's on fire, which is not a life goal. No one, no one is born thinking, I want to live in an alley with hobos with a barrel that's on fire cooking dead pigeons <laughs> in the fire. No one, that's not a life goal for anyone. I don't care what hobos tell you. That's not one. Yeah, that it, is, it, that is a secondary uh, or third, that is a secondary or tertiary life goal. It definitely seems like a society, you know, kind of like uh, escape the Bronx, you know, yes. Yeah. Uh, kind of thing where it's either you're, really wealthy and you live in these these uh you know penthouse mm -hmm. uh you know apartments in these skyscrapers or you you you're a t complete bum yes um living in either on the street or in some sort of cell block looking uh you know horrible yeah. apartments um but uh yeah you know okay one thing i'll say at the very beginning of this episode they reveal a fact that actually it blew me away, and that was that Edison is 27 years old. Oh yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's a hard 27. <laughs> <laughs> that really is. <laughs> I mean, that 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 poor guy's hairline for 27. Yeah, holy for, cow, it's rough. I mean, I you know I understand Ron <laughs> Howard's hairline at 27 because I've seen his dad, but yeah. I don't know Edison. Just like yeah, that seems like 20 minutes into the future. <laughs> Ooh, that's gonna be rough. They don't have hair replacement in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, also, I don't know if you you picked up on this, and it makes me wonder if it was actually bleeped out mm. on network. Oh yes, I did. Edison says shit. He does, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is um, what am I watching this on? Is this like some a European cut or something where they're adding extra? Spiciness. Yeah, they, oh, yeah. They, somebody uh, I forget the, the, the oh, those the body uh, snatcher guys take his camera, mm -hmm. and you know, and he's like, "Shit, they took my camera!" And mm -hmm. I was like, and I rewound him like, "Did he say shit?" Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Maybe that's why I got to taken off the air so yeah. soon. Would you guys stop with the swearing? We can't. It's Edison's character. <laughs> yeah. So is the so is the bad hairline, but we don't complain about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, it, the thing is funny is like it, I think it's a much better episode, obviously, than than Rakers. But it, it's a very grim, yes, uh, one because when they uh, when uh, Bregel and Mahler capture the woman, mm -hmm. they like hold her down and they pull out this device that's yes. got this whirling blade on it, uh -huh. and, and and like scrape up her back or something with yeah. it because they're trying to I think get the blood type or. Mm -hmm whatever it is and it, i was yeah, like they, oh my god yeah w warning <laughs> these guys might not be doctors yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty dark it's you know? it's it's interesting because it has it has sort of the investigation that we've seen in the, the previous episodes kind of this 
I don't know if it's post-apocalyptic, but it's it's a futuristic investigation, and we're doing the high tech and everything. But at the end of the day, it's really about rich people grabbing poor women off the street, and I mean taking their organs. I mean, there's there's even a point and and horrorgoning them. Yes, and and there's even a point where like the 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 doctor is talking to a nurse, and he's like, I guess they're sorting through one of the bodies and he says something about like disposing of the mess or something. He just, he just yes. describes, he describes the body that of this young woman that they just cut up to provide parts for this old rich woman. Just like, so like awful. And I mean, awful in the two ways I could say awful, just sort of, sort of describing it like that way. And in that way, and it's just kind of like, and they don't, they don't show any of it obviously, but you know, they're looking at just like a body that they just carved up. It's just yeah. an absolute pot that they're going. It's going to be like the killing by the swimming pool in pieces. You know where they have yes. to. You know they have to. They have an individual body bag for a leg for, and they have to stack the body parts onto the stretcher <laughs> to carry. You know that kind of thing. And it's just like you. And, and it is. It's like it's mixed with some like the like the characters of big time TV are a lot of fun. Like like I was trying to say before I got caught in talking about the world here. I like the fact that they they're doing their own thing and they seem to be doing it well, just living out of this mobile spot where they can drive away from they can drive away as quick as possible when they need to. And they seem to be having fun, which I like because not a lot of people here seem to be having fun. Murray certainly isn't having fun. But then Murray Murray seems to be 20 minutes into the future, but from our, our present, too, just the, sort of the way he runs everything. Murray seems like he, he probably uh, you know keeps Alka-Seltzer in business. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, uh, Blank Reg and Dominique, I, I, I love their characters uh, – I love the fact that Dominique, she carries herself like she's royalty. She's always got the the cigarette, uh, the long cigarette holder, you know, the filter and everything. So, mm-hmm. and and her hair is done up in this very regal way, even though you know she lives in this crappy van with Reg, yeah. Yeah. you know. And but they, I I love the fact that they love each other, mm-hmm. even though I mean Reg is a mess. Yes, <laughs> but he's a fun mess. Yes, exactly, exactly. He brings a kind of a, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of a, a just, just a sort of, I was gonna say extroverted joy, but that's not quite what I want to say. But you, you know what I mean? Just kind of like, a, like a pop to the to this world that you're you're hoping that. I'm sure it's probably in a lot of the posts. I'm trying to think of posts. I mean, I was going to think, going back to like Escape from the Bronx, like what is it, the, the Toblerone character or whatever it is? The, yes. Ha-ha, my friend! Ha-ha! You know, he just brings, he, he's, he's, you know, he's in the same mess that we all are in 20 minutes into the future, but he's having some fun with it and surviving. Yeah, I think he, uh, you know, along with Max himself, I think he yes. really brings the, the, the comedy relief. Mm-hmm. to this show but he's also the thing that's great as you'll see in future episodes is he's a great ally at, at all times yeah he's he's um he's always got edison's back mm-hmm. and he's always there it doesn't even matter if he gets paid he just he, he looks at it as he's having a good time it's yes. an adventure for him enjoy yeah yeah you know and, and and max in this one has some great moments where um bryce is trying to access memories and things like that we get to see an image of oh, yes. uh, uh edison's first kiss which is just the girl mm, smooch it up at the camera yeah and uh, and max just uh as always enjoying himself and refusing to the, one of the big things here is yeah they're trying to force max to do a commercial for what is it zigzag for zigzag 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 yeah and um and max just won't do it right 
he just keeps going his own way with it, just kind of finding new ways to take their money directly from your pockets. By the you way, uh, he had the, the best line is where he says, uh, "Like, have you ever noticed like uh, when the the uh, your burger, which by the way we discover now, Zigzag sells burgers." Uh, when your burger rubs up against the plastic container, that doubles the nutritional value. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Max is just a great character because he's um, I I, I just like a character that in this world where you can um. You're almost always uh, monitored, or, or something's always, always. There, there's, there's, there's always. It, it's, it's one of those weird worlds where you get to the end of the an episode and you breathe a sigh of relief that they haven't all been kicked out on their butts yet yeah. by the people in charge. That the because it, it is one sort of one of those. I mean, it could be one of those worlds like I don't know the way uh, how the show goes on. I know it was cut off abruptly, but it, it'd be something like all the people we see like Chev, Chev, Cheviat here or whoever. You know, all these people who seem to be in the height of power. I like the thought that maybe there's someone like not a god but someone like higher up who's watching it and is enjoying this and really yeah. likes watching edison or something and that's like like their their word is the one that keeps him going and keeps him moving um and 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 max is just great because he's he's one of the few um sort of like the the big time tv gang you can't quite pin him down and he's always a max is max is always going to do his own thing you can threaten as much as you want but he's always going to do his own thing and he's he's um and he's nice too because he's always like like there's some scenes there like when the the executives are trying to get him to do stuff and he won't where like even even when you don't get the main screen that max is on like there's a shot of bryce like a like a medium shot of bryce and in the background very small there's a monitor with max on it so max is looking at bryce but max is behind bryce also looking at him and sort of like max is kind of everywhere and um, and I think I, it's funny. I, I, I get the feeling sort of like they want Max to, you know, have more facial expressions. They want him to be sort of more human, as it were. And all I can think is, do you want that, people in charge? Because I, I think the thing, the only thing that's keeping Max from just basically shutting everything down is that I just don't think that's in his personality yet. Oh no! Like they say, he he, mm-hmm. he views Network Twenty Three as his personal playground. Yes, exactly. So he he would not. Yeah, he would not. So he would not shut it down. But I think if he were to get a full on, like if if they were to do like a mind meld, and Edison's mind were completely everything he believes, it would have completely go into Max. I think Max would probably shut everything down in an instant, and not turn it on again until they started yeah. getting it working decently again. So so you've got this great. So so I guess you've got the the people on top who you wonder sometimes, why don't they shut Edison and all them down? But then you have Max, who's on Edison's side, who could literally shut everything down in an instant were he given just a bit more information. <laughs> so it's an, inter- it's an interesting world. The more you think about it, even even though some some of what we're thinking about here is, is, is slightly um, conjecture on, on what's happening. Some, but, but that's part of the fun of a show like this, right, is that it gives us bits and pieces and we – put in you know we put in the pieces if we were in a puzzle tournament this would never work but it, we put in pieces <laughs> that we think fit and sometimes they do so. <laughs> and i've actually got a plane right here at divine's on the big time tv and there's reg eating out of a eating some sort of ravioli or something out of a can having a good time uh, oh, uh, th- this is like a minor thing but there's a point when they go there they go looking for the two um body snatcher guys in this uh nightclub bar that's got uh, you know like a belly dancer going on and everything and 
there's a guy that they show multiple times, kind of like in a weird mime makeup, and oh, he looks yeah, just yeah. like Zoot from the Electric Mayhem, you know, Doctor Doctor <laughs> Teeth <laughs> Band. Yeah. <And laughs> I was like, this has got to be yeah, intentional. Yeah, that's got to be. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. That's why I, I love I love the fact too. It's it's and, and again it's it's. And, and that, that bar is another thing that sort of uh, supports whatever the hell it was I was just talking about. Sort of like, there is a bar you can go to where the two body snatcher bad guys are known to hang out. Yes. You know, but but it's almost like, you know, it's, it's you got you got to sort of learn that they're there and you got to, I don't know if it's like, well, you got to go at a specific time. You know, they work hard and they deserve their rest too. You know, and, and there's there's very specific, you know, it's not like, it's not like anyone's really hiding Apart from Max, no one's hiding really from one another. Everyone seems to know where everyone is, and it's sort of the delicate balance of twenty minutes into the future is you can you can you can push it, but you don't push it too far. And when that kind of creepy faced guy steals that woman to you know give his mother some organs, that's the too far point, <laughs> and that that has to be stopped regardless of how wealthy this is. And that poor woman. You, I mean, is it said the old woman who's getting the organs? Does, I mean, I, I just remember the the, 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 the husband, uh, it could be, uh, the son basically saying, um, you know, like, oh, that's my mother, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm wondering, is there a point? I don't remember a point like where the mom says, give me some organs. Or is it just the, the is, it, is it said, like, is she, does she want this? Or is it the son keeping her alive or? Uh, well, I believe he's he's trying to keep her alive because she is uh, has a, a place of prominence uh, yes. in the corporation, mm-hmm. um, whatever. Um, I, I, although it is funny, it's like when they come in, uh, you know, Edison comes in with the the, the young woman's, uh, I assume, boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, to rescue them. She he he pushes the. The gurney that the old oh, lady yeah. is on, she, and it slams into the wall. And yeah, she, she, yeah, and she, she almost kind of flies head. off the top. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, so she's dead, clearly, right? Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was on like life support and everything. That 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 is a weird moment because it's it's um, you know, that's and because that I think that's the point where I thought, you know what, if she if she has been de- if she was the one demanding that we take all these young women apart to keep her alive. Then all I can think of right now is Doctor Who, the Pirate Planet, Queen Queen Zancia, yeah. in the Time Dams. You know, like like ki- killing millions and millions of people just to keep herself alive for a few seconds. It's frozen in time for a few seconds. But if if like this old woman was um if she was order- ordering this, okay, yeah, I don't mind her getting a push into the wall. But if it was her, if that made me think, it was it her or was it her son who was demanding this? Because if it was her son. I, I, you know, I feel bad for her right there. She's just, maybe she's just in life support and like in her mind, she's floating through heaven. But in, in reality, she's on like this gurney and they're tearing women apart to keep her alive. Oh, mother. Oh, yes. shut up. Mother. Shut up. Shut up. I wonder too, like when I saw that guy, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, it's like, um, like a Prince Charles kind of thing where, uh, you know, he, you know, he's pretty high up in the British royalty, but as long as his mom was alive, he didn't really have to do well. He didn't really do anything, anyways. He didn't, didn't really do anything. Else. But but he doesn't really have to be the main um, focus, right? Like he can all you know, like he can have whatever position of power it has. He can have all the money he has, all the all the titles, all the everything. But he, it if if people come to royalty, as long as his mom's alive, they go to her. 
So he's going to do everything he can. Now, I'm not saying that Prince Charles was harvesting the bodies of young British women <laughs> to keep the Queen alive. But I'm just saying it's one of the, you know, like, like I think you see that sometimes in, like, like dramas where they're, like, not quite Miss Ellie in Dallas kind of thing. But but there's sort of the thing, like, as long as there's, like, a matriarch who's controlling, then, like, the sons and daughters can be as awful as they want because they don't actually have to be in control. Oh, yeah, he, he's got all the privilege without the responsibility. Yes, exactly, because at the end of the day, it goes back to his mom. And if he could keep his mom in those time dams, sorry, everyone, I doctor who did again, but he could keep those mom, his mom in there, <laughs> you know, um, then then he doesn't, he, he can he can use the responsibility without ever having to take it. And the mo the moment you see that guy's face, I don't know if they, like, I'm not going to impugn a fellow's face, but it almost looked like a fake face he had on. There's something weird about the slope of it or something. Yeah. And you, the moment you see him, you want to punch him. So oh, there yeah. you go. There you go. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 it, and, and when you see all the colorful characters in this episode and he's the one you want to punch, you know, that's a punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do you have in this one? There, there is a lot that goes on in it, and, and we see a lot happening. There's the, um, there's the lady who's being blackmailed by the the creepy looking guy, and there's the, oh yeah, the that we, and we meet everybody. And, yeah, we find out that she's had an affair with Cheviot, yes. mm -hmm. uh, in the past, and that's what they're blackmailing her with. Mm -hmm. Um, so that and that was kind of an interesting little. Uh, tidbit that we didn't know about yeah yeah you know chevy you dog yeah it kind of kind of gives me a little newfound respect for uh, yeah he's, he's <laughs> not just all because he does have that that one part where he's like i can't believe you'd be thinking of this over the network i always think of the you know the network first and then and that and of course that's um that's uh that later on in the episode when he uh he's telling um um uh, Edison to uh, you know to stop looking for this young woman, and he just Edison just kind of looks at him and is like, the, uh, the this corporation of the lives of a of a of a you know young woman who's in who's in grave grave danger. You know my answer. He's like, okay, okay. I thought I I thought you might go for the corporation over the young woman in danger, but you win. <laughs> yeah, he he rolls over pretty easy for Edison. Yes, he. Does. He does. I mean, it's, it's all. I, I like. I said. I like. Maybe he's got like an earpiece or something, and someone even higher up is saying, "Come on, let it. Let him do his. Let him save her. We don't like that guy and his mom, anyways." <laughs> Some, sometimes you have to sacrifice the, you know, the old rich lady. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it happens. You know, I mean, you you do what you got to do. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> I mean, uh, we're so talking about television, damn it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I was going to say, I like, I forget where I've seen the guy before, but the main doctor, I've seen him in something, and I forget what oh, it the, is. Oh, the, the super sweaty guy. <laughs> yes, yes, I've seen him in something. I want to say a horror film or something like that, where he's, um, or maybe he was like a a sheriff, like in a movie where couple of women end up on the wrong side of the tracks and he's the evil law enforcement guy i should have looked him up why didn't i look him up <laughs> well you know I, he's he's got one of those faces mm -hmm. you know yeah maybe, um, maybe yeah. i'm gonna try i'm gonna try very calmly to look him up right now while we're talking but i'm gonna pretend like i'm not looking him up <laughs> i'm looking him up uh so here we go body bags and uh 
Oh yeah, Claude, Claude Earl Jones is the actor's Claude name. Oh yes, he's in um. Oh my gosh, now I can see the movie. I um. No, he's God. in Bride, Bride of Reanimator. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, what am I? Miracle Mile. He was in Cherry Two Thousand. And I, th- I think it was something probably much older that I remember him from. Let's see. Let's go all the way to the bottom. Oh, Craft Suspense Theater. No, no, that yeah. wasn't. He's in a Harry O. Yeah, oh, the- She Freak. That's right. He's the um, he's the guy. He's the guy. She Freak who runs the diner that the lead gal leaves. Yes. Um, to go join the carnival, and then during the final scene when she is, she has been she freaked. You see him looking down at her in the pit, eating popcorn and laughing at her. That's why I remember the face because I remember because in this one he spends most of his time sweating and looking worried. And I thought, man, your job is way too stressful. <laughs> I don't care if this is twenty minutes into the future. You got to get a better job than uh, this. I, I, I was going to say, you know, the kids are all about craft suspense theater. True, true. That's right. That's right. Uh, I wish it was a short-lived show. We'd cover it on here. Good old Craft Suspense Theater. I, I can tell uh, you, when I was in high school, Saturday nights were all about getting some Mickey's Big Mouth and kicking back, you know, just watching your show shows. because Yeah, and the U.S. Steel Hour. U.S. Steel Hour. <laughs> Unless less unless we worry nowadays when we see that like your average half hour show on a network is like twenty one minutes and change and it used to be yeah. like in the fifties like twenty six minutes. Keep in mind that back back in the day shows were named after <laughs> the, the sponsors. Oh yeah. So uh, so yeah. US Steel. I mean, what is it? The um the the Fibber, Fibber McGee and Molly for, was for years was the Johnson Wax Program. Yeah. With Fibber McGee. It's not Fibber McGee and Molly. It's the Johnson Wax Yeah, program. Jack Benny was uh, the Lucky Strike program. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Camels was always doing stuff. You know, and it's like, uh, and, yeah. and so and so we bring that up just, just you know. I'm, just to I show how old we are. Yes. Just to show how old we are. Just to show, like, like, part of one of the main bits of this is trying to force Max to do a commercial. And and back in the day, like if you watch, there's that great there those two. The, they put the first two seasons of I Love Lucy out in those great Blu-ray sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, they stopped after season two, which is too bad. I think people. I think what was happening was now you can get them for like fifteen bucks a piece, which is ridiculous. But when they came out, they were like seventy or eighty bucks. And I think like all the mm-hmm. forgive me all the, all all the the baby boomers who loved the show and grew up with the show and watched it in, in endless re- reruns were like, why would I pay sixty dollars for I Love Lucy? Da, 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 when I can watch it for free and then when you try to explain to them their response is why would I pay six that they don't get it it doesn't it doesn't um it was like, all I can think of is when um when me TV a few years ago they did like when they did their holiday programming they had a bunch of bloggers and TV writers like myself contribute stuff for episodes of shows and they and so I like wrote a bit on MacGyver I wrote some stuff on happy days um and some some other things too. I forget what they were, but they were lovely little essays and things. And they were just like you know, like if you went on the MeTV site, you could link to this and read about it. And the moment they announced it on Facebook, you got everyone saying, "What is this? What first? What is a blog? What is going on?" <laughs> and second, like, "What is this? I don't want to have to read this to watch Happy Days." And and MeTV was like, "No, you don't have to read this. To watch. This is just like." this is just like an extra thing, you know, like it's the holidays. We're just presenting something extra. I don't want people telling me what to think about happy days. I've been watching happy. No, no, you don't have to read it at all. You don't have to. And, and it was just so ridiculous to read this thread of people who seem to not understand that you like, I want to watch 
you know, uh, Green Acres today, but I don't want to have to read this. Uh, is it going to take my credit card information? No, it's nothing to do with that. And it was just, it was just so weird <laughs> to see. And, and you, you, you like to think of the like the MeTV audience as being a real fun audience of people enjoying um, reruns and stuff. But then when you see stuff like this, and you realize, you think they're nuts. There are a lot of nutty people watching that network. I wish I could explain it more, but I, I think you get the gist of it. It was just this weird thing where like people were angry at us for writing articles about the show. They didn't know what the articles were. They weren't reading them. But they thought for some reason that they had to access our articles to watch the show. And then they thought maybe there was money involved that they had to spend. Then when they were told that they didn't have to watch the show, they were absolutely livid that people were going to tell them how to watch the show. Oh, my God. Or, and it was just like, and, and, and that's why MeTV stopped. I mean, because some of us went in and tried to explain, oh, no, you know, we just wrote it. It's for fun. You know, if you want to read something about the show, you know, discussion <laughs> about the history of the show, or, and people would just get so angry. And in the end, our responses were like, well, follow y'all, you know, just go, go, go take a leap. Go, go, I, you know, go dig your grave in your backyard and die watching your episodes of the monsters because I don't want to talk to you anymore. So, so but did, it's, uh, when you did that, did you go, you've just been ziffled. You, <laughs> zigzag. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> but it, it was, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. Um, it's weird. Uh, like, like when you discuss, uh, um, like, like I said, like this came out of the I Love Lucy thing. It's like one of the things about the I Love Lucy sets where they were great because you could watch them in their original form where they were basically advertisements for whatever the cigarettes it were they, they sold. And, you know, it started off with an ad for the cigarettes, and then Lucy and Desi would talk about how great the cigarettes were. And then you get 12 minutes of I Love Lucy, then three more minutes of how great the cigarettes were, then 12 more <laughs> minutes of I Love Lucy, then two or three more minutes about how great the cigarettes were. <laughs> Four out of five and, doctors recommend Camel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, my favorite, and, and then we'll get back to the episode. It all ties in, right? <laughs> I mean, this is, this, this is like, this is sort of like the 50s version of what Max is doing. It's just Max is more, it hurts more. <laughs> it's destroyed the yep. society more. Um, but I was, I was, I've been listening to uh, the Abbott and Costello radio show. Yep, Camel. And, Camel. And the great thing is a lot of it takes place during World War II, and there is so much in there about, and Camel's helping the war effort by sending billions of cigarettes to our boys. Yes. <laughs> and 20, 30 years from now, all those boys will have lung cancer. Yes. So thank you, Cam And it's so funny to hear, like, <laughs> and we've talked to doctors, and they say your T-zone won't be affected. Yes, your you, T-zone. Yeah, and you go to Camel's are great. And if you're, you know, like, and they'll, they'll do a little thing where it's like, You'll, you'll, you'll hear, like, gunfire and explosion. you hear, Tom, do you have any more camels? <laughs> I don't know, Steve. I only have one left. Oh, I, I understand. I understand. Wait a minute, Tom, or Steve. I forget what your names were. Wait a minute, Steve. You have my last camel. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Good thing oh, I brought the 12-pack. Smooth. smooth. <laughs> camels. <laughs> Beloved by every soldier fighting against the Nazis. And it's just like you hear that and you think, wow. Like 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 the zigzag commercials might be terrible, but there's something about smoking something that you know is going to eventually kill these people. Sending something that you know is going to kill these people and, and making it patriotic that is just horrible. In the midst of, hey, I'm a, I'm a yeah. bad boy. You know, just in the middle of all, it's just so, it's just so weird like to hear the different way, like – you know, I, I almost prefer, like, 
just inundate me with the commercials because I know what they are. Don't don't tell me. You know, don't pretend like you're being patriotic and wonderful. We can all see through that. You know, I hope I don't actually. I take it back after the MeTV thing. I don't know what the hell we can see through. You know, but <laughs> but yeah, just just so 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 I kind of yeah, it's it's that's that's <laughs> we were talking about craft playhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> they've been pervasive, folks. They've been pervasive. So uh, I'd just like everybody to remember that uh, this episode of Eventually Super Train is brought to you by <laughs> Carter's Little Liver Pills. Carter's Little Liver Pills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite sponsor. Yes. Of, uh, you know, like yours truly, Johnny Dollar or whatever. Yeah, and I was, I was trying to think what the one is that I'm like Mr. Trace or Mr. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Tracer Persons. Tracer of Lost Persons. Oh, I was doing the Bob and Ray version. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, and it's uh, that's I forget what they're. I want to say it's Bayer aspirin or something like that. And it's yeah. like, helps with neuralgia. Oh wow, the neuralgia. Wow, that sounds dark. <laughs> that does sound dark. <laughs> so I think I think we've. Discuss what we need to discuss on body bag. And the great thing is, we took the satire of Max Headroom and expanded it back to the 30s and 40s. So there you go. <laughs> Job done. Anything yeah. else about this one, Tim? <laughs> I don't think so. Awesome. Where can we find you online? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, me and my co host, Kelly Hogaboom, on uh, Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes, or whatever they're calling iTunes now. Um, our newest episode, we're discussing Bo is Afraid, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. So, you know, that's going to be fun. Excellent. Excellent. It's a great show. They're, they're wonderful on it. And, um, yeah, that's the end of Body Banks, everyone. Let's just go on to Monster Squad, shall we? Here we go, a little theme. My name's Walt. I work as night watchman here at Fred's Wax Museum to put myself through criminology college. It used to be very lonely until recently when I plugged in my crime computer. Suddenly, oscillating vibrations brought to life three legendary monsters. Dracula. The werewolf. Frankenstein. Creatures hated and feared for centuries now determined to make up for their past misbehaving by fighting crime wherever they find it. Together, we're the Monster Squad. October 16th, 1976. No Face, the sixth episode of Monster Squad. Written by Greg Strangis and directed by James Sheldon. This episode is about the evil villain No-Face, a villain with no face who wears all sorts of disguises. Although mainly in this one he wears the disguise of the mayor, much like Mr. Mephisto had the um, robot of the mayor made. This this time uh, the mayor is impersonated by No-Face, and he also impersonates Chief Running Nose, the Native American gentleman who sold uh, the city, whatever city this this place is set in for $24. And we learned that um, we learned that one of the rules of the contract was that uh, the city cannot be subdivided. It has been, and now the chief has taken over the city and um, is making uh, the mayor. Uh, what is he doing? He's making the mayor cut the forces of the police in half, and he's going to make crime legal. But first, he captures the mayor, takes over the mayor, looks like the mayor, goes into the mayor's office, and the monster squad comes to visit him, and they um, receive a response from the mayor that they don't expect. Don't salute the mayor, Frank. 
Good evening, gentlemen. As mayor, I am always available to the common people. However, from now on, you will please salute when I come into the room. Mr. Mayor, don't you recognize us? How could I possibly recognize you with those ridiculous costumes on? Beside, I am much too busy to go around recognizing every Tom, Dick, and Harry in this city. What did you want to see me about? Well, sir, as concerned citizens, we want to know if there's anything we can do to help you out in your time of need. Oh, I appreciate your humble offer. Then you won't mind turning over Chief Running Nose's landing. Huh? Well, you see, sir, I feel that the citizens of our fair city have the right to test its authenticity. You are questioning my judgment? Oh. Officers, throw these troublemaking creeps out of here. Okay, troublemaking creeps. And don't come back. Does this mean you don't want our help? What nerve! We've saved this city at least once a week for the last five years. Crime is legalized, and 50% of it goes to No-Face, a.k.a. the mayor. And he has two uh, henchmen, like every every criminal in this show has. These two are named Plunder and Pillage. And uh, they have a scheme where maybe they can make a little extra money. Now the crooks in this town don't have No-Face. King of camouflage, dean of disguise, master of makeup to push around anymore. Uh, getting half of everything these crooks, big, bar, and steel, that ain't bad, but, well, yeah, well, Pillage and I were figuring maybe we can do a little better if we start demanding 75%. <laughs> I admire you boys' ingenuity. Yeah. But you ninnies are still talking small potatoes while I'm thinking about caviar. Now, look, after we exact enough tribute in return for making crime legal, then we'll make crime illegal again. Rest all the crooks, confiscate what's left of their ill-gotten gains, then we'll have 100%. Isn't there supposed to be an honor amongst thieves here? <laughs> there is. We are honored to do them in before they do us. <laughs> Don't mess with no face. What happens in the end is, um, it's it's actually maybe slightly strange, is that uh, Chief Running Nose turns up tied up in the wax museum where apparently he's been dressed up in really um, stereotypical Native American clothing and put out as like a cigar store Indian in front of like a CVS or Rite Aid or something like that. And uh, Walt learns what's going on and um, all the guys are sent off to, realizing that No Face would need a lot of makeup, all the guys are sent off to assorted film studios. And uh, Bruce, our werewolf friend, ends up going to the one with No Face and he's put inside a giant firecracker. And although they explained how the fire... I think they explained how the firecracker works. I was a little vague on what exactly was going on with the firecracker, but it certainly wasn't going to be good. I think um, it was burning Bruce's hair off. Because as the firecracker is going, and Bruce's face is sticking out from a little hole in, in the center of it, uh, people are saying it smells like a buffalo hide being burnt. And uh, But then Frankie and, and, and Drac show up, and they beat up Pillage and Plunder, and they capture No Face, and No Face is put in solitary with his No Face. And that's No Face, everybody. Uh, Sid Haig, well, Sid Haig plays Chief Running Nose. Uh, the mayor is played by the same gentleman who played the mayor last time. And it's nice to see the recurring character. Although although it is kind of interesting that, like, the mayor has appeared, I think, 
has he appeared more than twice? But he's at least appeared twice now, and in both times, he is basically the premise is he is um, impersonated by uh, like an android, a robot in one, and by a guy with no face who takes over everyone's face in another. And uh, yeah, that's that's what uh, that's that's the basic premise here. And Sid Haig is great as uh, Chief Running Nose and the evil uh, No Face and. No Face himself is is pretty cool because like yeah I mean obviously you think No Face you think of False Face from the '60s Batman since Stanley Ralph Ross developed this show and so you instantly think of that and False Face was in a two parter in um, season one and a dang good two parter too because he can constantly change his face you never quite know whether you're, they're talking to the right people or stuff like that and and they actually wonderfully carry that through as far as they can to the end. So it's a really good two-parter. If you want to watch... I mean, it's in one ways, it's a pretty typical uh, 1960s Batman. In some ways, it's atypical because it is a um, it is a villain who was only there once. And most people sort of know the villains that are there multiple times. But False Face, that's a good two-parter. Like I said, I think it's like episodes 17 and 18 or something like that in, a, in a, a season one. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so this is No Face. The interesting thing, False Face, if I remember correctly, has sort of like, I don't quite remember. I want to say he's got like something plastic over his face and his face is just kind of blank. Looking like the chameleon from the uh, the Marvel comics. Uh, but here, No Face is actually, doesn't have, uh, it's it's not, he, he doesn't have a face. You You only see his face for a brief second and it's just kind of this sort of bulbous, lumpy, featureless mess which seems a bit weird you think you'd want it to be like smoothed down so he could put the face over it but it's kind of weird because I guess does he have to press his face in like with a girdle face girdle or something like that? it just I mean it's kind of a creepy moment they only show it for a second so the fact that they only show it for a second means that it's kind of meant to be a uh, kind of moment it kind of is you don't you expect his face like I said to not be sort of bulbous and weird looking like like they're, they're like ch- chameleon and false face of like Maybe like they've experimented on their face, or they've done something to their face, or or they're just kind of, I don't know, covering up their own face to put another face on top of it or something. But this no face actually looks like he was using Marvel again. It looks like, um, you know, he was uh, like get hit hit up against some gamma rays or something like that, and his face just dissolved and left him with no face. That's that's kind of how it looks. And if that is what's happening, that's kind of um, that's kind of disturbing. Uh, and makes it a little less fun. I will say in, in this episode, I, I'm gonna because I'm gonna forget. And it's up on the screen right now. I don't know if you've seen the other episodes, but on the other side of the wall, opposite Frank Drake and Bruce, there is a wax uh, statue of the Invisible Man, which is basically a thing out front that says Invisible Man and a very sort of proper sort of Victorian gentleman, but but just the clothes and the monocle and or, or does he have? Glad I for I, I wait no no they're not showing it again, but yeah so so without anyone actually inside it which is a nice little joke I like that. Now we're never going to see No Face again the same way we never saw False Face again, but there is sort of that weirdness there when you actually see his face that is yeah his face it's not it's not like I think like the chameleon was like a Soviet agent or something and there's an implication that they did something to his face so he could do whatever. And False Face, I don't know, but No Face really has the implication of something horrible may have happened to him or I hesitate to say even maybe like a birth defect or something. He was born without a face. I know it's horrible to think about whatever it is, but that's the character here. And yeah, it's two guys plunder and and pillage 
Um, our our fight, they they actually get more to do than the regular guys who just kind of stand around and are stupid. These two guys aren't stupid. They actually um, have their own plan, as you heard. For for and it's not a bad one. Uh, they just don't think as far ahead as No Face does. No Face has probably had more time to dwell on this. These guys are probably just a couple of hired goons. And there are times in there when um, they they do have looks on their faces like, "Who? What's this guy up to?" Uh, I love that his his um, his hideout is a soundstage in a movie studio or TV studio in a, in a in a film TV studio, simply because so many of the hideouts have just been clearly sets on sound stages with like fake with like really fake backdrops or like just hanging things to pretend stuff is there. This is nice to see because it's they're actually on a sound stage. So they don't have to cover of any any of it up. You can see the entirety of the sound stage all around them. And I think that's a that's a nice touch. That's maybe an obvious touch if you know what they're doing with the previous sets. You know, knowing that like the week before this was the weatherman set and they just hung up some cheap uh, walls and, and curtains and things like that and, and a door. Uh, you you can really see the uh, the mayor's office looks super cheap. If you look at the uh, the corner, uh, you know where when they open the door, look in the corner behind them, and look up. First off, you can see the top of the set briefly, and then the camera pans down quickly, so you can tell that the cameraman knows they caught it, and then they pan down quickly. It's sort of like the, there's a brief moment where um, Frank gets a net thrown over him. And when he raises his arms up in the air, the net clearly falls off of his face and is just on his arms. But then the actor throws his arms up, so and he's putting his arms in front of his face, so it looks like there's netting in front of his face, so you only see it for a second. This is probably not the kind of show where multiple takes were a thing, especially because it's shot on film. I mean, there could have been, like, I'm sure if we were doing the Ghostbusters filmation, the Ghostbusters live-action version, and we watch it again, I'm sure there are probably fewer takes where like like i mean in this like, like i said you get you you get you see the top of the set in that one shot you see the net fall off the face in another you see a boom shadow in another and this was shot on video i would bet you cash money that those they would immediately stop that and just just redone that but as this is filmed the moment you start rolling as long as no one falls over as long as the set doesn't collapse as long as no one breaks into the swearing you're probably fine i'd love to see some outtakes with all the characters swearing not going to happen uh, I will say that after after through after all these episodes, I really don't feel like I I know the characters any better, like like the main guys. In fact, every time Drax speaks, I'm somehow almost surprised. I don't know why. I th- I think it's because Frank is so big that he overtakes everything, and Walt has most of the dialogue, the exposition, and Bruce gets the jokes. That whenever Drax speaks, it's always a little weird. Like he's kind of this, uh, the flamboyant, um, the flamboyant brother who you rarely see, like in the old dark house or something. The one who's up in his room most of the time. But they're all there. I mean, they're all there in spirit and during the big fight scene. Oh, let me do this for you. I'm jumping all around this episode because, to be honest, of the, of the six so far, this is my favorite of the episodes. And I think if you were to show someone an episode, if they can get over the Native American. I I don't know I don't know what you'd call it the chief running nose thing yeah it's not uh, it's it's not it's not terribly um, it was the kind of thing you could do back then it it wouldn't be something that you would do now and it's mildly amusing um, and if you you can get with it I mean and and I mean the thing the thing with the characters the the thing the thing with a lot of Native American characters maybe not F Troop that have popped up in like sixties and seventies sitcoms and shows is a lot of times they were actually portrayed with 
again, not F Troop, with respect, um, but not always. Um, for example, uh, I hate to say Green Acres, the It's Peaceful in the Country episode, one of the last appearances of Oliver's mom, where I think J. Carol Nash plays uh, like a Indian chief or Native American chief. I just call him Indian chief because that's what they called him here. Forgive me. But an Indian chief. And... Um, and it's really 100% stereotypical, but then at the same time, the episode is meant to be utterly ridiculous. So I guess you can you can excuse it some there. The thing about the thing about that episode is that's one of the season two episodes. Season two is one of the best seasons of the show, but it's also the season I've said this before, and I said this in my book, where uh, Jay Summers and Dick Chevrolet were asked to because they weren't Paul Henning, who they allowed to write or co-write every episode. And this wasn't the 50s anymore, where like the same three three or four people wrote every episode of I Love Lucy. In the 60s, you divvied all the scripts up, and other people wrote scripts. Now, I know what you're saying. Hey, Dan, I, I watch modern-day TV shows. I watch, for example, I'm watching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now. And you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and it seems like they got like 10, 11, 12 writers. The Good Place seemed like it had 100 writers doing it. But mainly it's like a couple people in charge who sort of... Um, get people, like-minded people, to put the scripts together, and then they take them apart and put them back together, and those those are, those are what goes out. But back in the day, that's not what happened. They got an episode like Petticoat Junction during its, say, third season. You had Al Hudson and... and who was writing with Al Hudson? Was it Jack Stewart? Oh, John, no. Who was Al Hudson? And, oh, shoot. Um, but you had the two... two, two Al, 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 Al Stewart? No, no, you had the... Um, Lou Hudson and Al Stewart. No, Al, no. Um, but but whatever it was, you got um, lots and lots of writers, and they would submit their scripts back. This is back in the sixties. They would submit their scripts, and you know the the head writers or the executive producer, or whatever, would do what they needed to do with the scripts. But generally, when you turned in a script back then, as long as the script wasn't like what show is this for that was a script that got made so with like Green Acres when you see a script that's not written by Jay Summers and Dick Chevrolet it can feel weird and it's peaceful in the country does feel weird and it's unfortunate I kind of wish the two guys who wrote that had gone and written something else but but then there's an episode of Beverly Hillbillies where um uh an episode of Petticoat Junction with Nate I mean there, there's the classic episode of the Beverly Hillbillies where I think they they have to deal the deal with the Native American um, like father and son or something like that. Uh, it's something to do with oil, and they just tell them they're they're you know Native Americans are Indians and well they're Indians and so Granny thinks they're Indians and they they expect um, them to be like how me you know standard sort of stuff and so Jethro treats them kind of like they're idiots but Jethro's an idiot but it turns out you know the uh, the main um, guy they're speaking with went to harvard he's very well educated he's in a suit uh you know and he's he's a very smart guy and then the same thing happens there's a petticoat junction i think where they have to fight over the rights to part of the railroad and the native american uh guys that show up are just you know regular guys you know just regular sort of american guys whether that's good or bad that's for you to say but they're not presented as like stereotypical and and so yeah, Chief Running Nose here. I mean, it is a show about uh, wax statues of Frankenstein, Monster, Dracula, and Wolfman that come to life and solve crimes. So take it all with a grain of salt. But Sid Haig does a good job in both of them. And then in the end, when you actually see Chief Running Nose, you know, in a suit making a making a business transaction, you realize that all the 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 headdress and the war paint and everything was was no face, just humiliating him. So that's the thing, is that the stereotypical... I mean, apart from Chief Running Nose, the stereotypical 
Native American stuff in here is done by the bad guy to humiliate the the gentleman. Uh, so 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 that could be problematic. The rest of the episode is great though. It's really nice. It moves really quickly. The 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 scheme is a good one. Uh, the the Monster Squad does some fun stuff. The the final fight with um, uh, Frank and Drac fighting Plunder and Pillage is fun. And I was actually going to do this. I'm going to play you 30 seconds of the fight scene. So you you can imagine what's happening in this fight scene is they're running back and forth. At one point they joust. They're pushing Plunder and Pillage around. Uh, at one point they've got Drac tied up and then they put a sack over his head and he turns into a bat and the bat flies out and all sorts of craziness happens. But here's like about 25-30 seconds of the fight scene just so you could hear it. Listen to this. Yes, and in that jousting occurs, and one of the characters—I don't know if it's plunder or pillage—gets uh, dressed in a knight outfit. They're in a—they're in a—they're uh, in a soundstage. There are all sorts of costume and, and th- uh, around and things like that. Uh, so, so it's a fun fight, and overall, it's a good episode. I mean, I think No Face is a, is a pretty good villain. He's not. Um, he, I mean, when you see his face, it becomes a little ooh gosh. But he's not like camp. A villain. He's he's not he's not camp. He like like false face. He's kind of mysterious and strange. He doesn't have a face. He takes on other people's faces. This doesn't do what the Batman two like a two part false face did, which I mentioned, which is that that it uses like he's constantly changing his face. So as it draws up the end, you can't tell who is the good guy, who is the bad guy, kind of thing. This doesn't really do that. His um. He he basically yeah he he becomes chief running nose then he becomes the mayor and and that's about it yeah and in fact like during the um during the big fight scene like false face or no faces nowhere to be seen in fact it didn't actually occur to me I just went back and rewatched it it's kind of strange because no faces there when they put Bruce in the giant Roman candle thing or whatever the heck it is and then he go he dresses the mayor and then he goes away. And then the the next time you you hear or encounter No Face is over an intercom, but then I don't think you encounter No Face again. It's it's really odd because normally the bad guy is there during the fight scene, but in this one, the you you the the one of the one of the guys, the littler guy, the dark haired guy, whichever one he is, I think he's Pillage. Um, he goes on the intercom, speaks real quickly to No Face, but from that point on, you don't see No Face again. They they fight plunder pillage. They they save Bruce. They capture plunder pillage, and then it cuts to the ending with with Chief Running Nose talking to Walt, and they say, "Well, we've caught No Face and put him away." So you don't actually see him catch No Face. I didn't realize that. It's kind of a weird episode. Then I, I, I okay, you know, I I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they couldn't have like if they had No Face become the mayor, who's kind of plump, and then become Chief Running Nose, who's Sid Haig. You would have think. Um, that he could have come out as Frankie or something. That wouldn't that wouldn't that have been fun if like uh, during the final fight scene, like Frank gets knocked off screen or something during the fight, and then when he comes back in, he attacks Drac, and you're like, "What's going on? No, it's no face, it's Frank, it's, or something like that." But it, but it's weird because because literally like when that f- the moment Frank and Drac come into the soundstage, no face is gone. 
He's no he's nowhere to be seen. He's not part of the Schmageggy anymore. This is it's kind of weird. But overall, the episode is excellent. Sid Haig is always great to see. This was around the time he was. Well, he's always doing stuff. What what was happening around here? Like your Switchblade Sisters. Was he in Switchblade Sisters? Uh, your Switchblade Sisters. Your uh, Beyond Atlantis. Yeah, the, all the movies that he appears in. The cl- sort of classic exploitations that we love. He's in those. But he's also appearing in. Um, I think this was. He's in Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman, for a wonderful stretch of episodes where he plays like the kind of assistant muscle to the this guy who's the head of this um, what's supposed to be a very charitable pleasant organization that turns out to be like a white supremacist group and I want to say they don't they like set off a bomb in the local factory where Mary Hartman's uh, husband works but Mary's there also so they all get trapped and, and stuff like that and yeah but he's in there for he's on there for a few weeks so he's he's one of those great guys who like he, he pops up in um, like like we said like the, the guy in um uh, the uh, the 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 body banks episode we were just talking about the guy who plays the sweaty head doctor I know him best for being the creepy diner guy in in um, or was well, kind of slightly pervy diner guy in She Freak and she, that was made what twenty years before but yeah Sid Haig was one of those great guys as everywhere you'll know him the moment you see him and he's always fun to watch uh, they just MST the most recent season of MST they did um, uh, the first Emily episode they did. Um, uh, uh, Beyond Atlantis and Sid Haig's on there and they make some references to Sid Haig well, quite a few so yeah overall this is a really great episode of Monster Squad I, th- I think th- I gotta say the thing with the show is that it does that weird thing that some some shows around this time like this would do um, Cliffhangers did it but then Cliffhangers was about building the story so you got invested in the story and just because of the nature of the storytelling, it takes like three or four episodes before you get invested in it. And then when you do, you can really get invested. By the time you get to the end, it's really a lot of fun. It's really, uh, with the Curse of Dragon, it's damn good. Um, but you got to get through the first episodes. And here I just think, I'll be, I'm, I'm wondering if it's like they made the 13 episodes and then they were like, ooh, we got a couple of weak ones. Well, let's start off with the weak ones, but we'll hype them. And then hopefully get people interested. And so after you get past like the first two, what was the third one? Oh, the tickler. That's pretty good. But by time you get to like, uh, by time you, if we can get the kids to like the fourth or fifth episodes, and why wouldn't we? It's Saturday morning. Then we can get put the really good stuff out there because I think like this one in the previous episode, uh, we're we're darn good. But and the previous episode is is very formulaic, and that's how most of the episodes look. This one looks slightly different. This one moves faster than the others. I think it's because he's got a good scheme. Granted the scheme of becoming mayor and making crime illegal and going from there is lifted directly out of a 1966 Batman, uh, which is why it's good. I guess it worked in the Batman and, and with things with the Batman is forgive me if I'm wrong. I forget, I forget what two parter it is. I will find out. I know like in the, um, the Nora clavicle one, she takes over the city, but she doesn't, um, make crime legal. I forget who it is who does that. 
but uh, they make crime legal, and then they they make Batman Robin outlaws. So that that's excellent to see. And and the same sort of thing happens here. It doesn't have sort of the scope that Batman has. You know, with with this, it's basically you know there there are two sets. There's the there there no there are three sets in this episode. There's the main wax museum set. There's the chintzy mayor's office, and then there's the sound stage. And the sound stage is basically where they were working anyway. So it's probably like they 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 probably you know shot the wax museum. They the wax museum set was probably as as freestanding as they could get so they shot those scenes they set up the chintzy mayor's office in the soundstage and they set up the soundstage to look like um no faces office so it's not like it's so uh, it's 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 very much everything is implied that there's a huge crime wave but it's not really crime wave anymore because crime isn't illegal but i guess it's still crime in quotes and uh yeah i do like that if someone is caught trying to stop a crime they're sentenced to three years of crime I like that, but yeah, overall, I'm gonna stop talking. This is this is a very good episode. It is the the great thing about it, as I said, is that generally with Saturday morning cartoons, when they made the thirteen, they showed the thirteen, and they showed them over and over. So I know there were ratings taken. That's how shows came back for multiple seasons. But I I don't think I mean I think like when they said let's make thirteen. And they started to show them, even if like they were like, "Ooh, those first two episodes aren't that good," but they get better as they go. It didn't matter because it was Saturday morning cartoons. The kids gonna watch whatever anyway. So, uh, so I think yeah, the show is getting better and better. And uh, I don't know who is next. I will have a look. It's oh, the astrologer, which I want to say is an episode very similar in some ways to Music Man, and in some ways similar to the upcoming Weather Man. Wait, we haven't done the weatherman yet. We haven't. So, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll stop talking right here, and um, I guess we'll wrap up this everyone episode. This everyone episode. Boy, I'm got some weird words going on during this episode. Uh, so let's wrap this up, everyone. Uh, be good to yourselves, and uh, at eSuperTrain1 on X or Twitter. Uh, eventually, SuperTrain on Facebook. You can email me at Danny Slacks S L A C K S at yahoo.com. And, uh, yeah, eventually supertrain.blogspot.com. Be good to yourself, everyone. Next time we'll be back with more Max Headroom and more Monster Squad. Talk to you soon. Bye.